a couple weeks ago, I'll just kind of recap for us uh, in, in Revelation chapter 18. Uh, what, we, what we saw is the world system, and, uh, and, and we really, uh, when we talk about the world system, we're talking about evil, okay? So the world system of oppression, exploitation, greed, uh, violence, we, we saw that it's all labeled under this umbrella of Babylon, Okay, so throughout uh, the book of Revelation, you see this evil world system being alluded to as Babylon. And in Revelation chapter 18, uh, we see uh, the judgment of this evil world system by God. Okay, and, and, and so when we think of this evil world system, this is the world system that uh, not only was labeled as Babylon, but also it's called the, the prostitute. And, and essentially the meaning behind it is you and I, if we're Jesus followers, are, um, we are engaged to be married to Christ, the bridegroom. Okay, the, the evil world system, Babylon, is doing everything it can, and it has all throughout history. It's trying to seduce us away from being loyal and faithful to the bridegroom who is gonna come for us, who is Jesus Christ, okay? And so in Revelation chapter 18, he deals with this evil world system. Now, what we saw was two different responses to that judgment. Um, what, what we saw was the people who were dependent on that evil world system, those who had gained power, prestige, position, uh, financially had benefited from that world system and essentially had fallen in love with that and said, God, no, thank you. Um, they mourn, right? They're weeping over the destruction of it. But then we also see the people that have been chosen by God, set aside, the ones that uh, have, have essentially pledged their allegiance to Jesus, uh, they are actually celebrating as it's being judged. Now, why? They're not gloating over that. They're, they're praising God and singing hallelujah because justice is finally being dealt. Right, That perfect, righteous, and holy justice is finally being delivered, which is the answer to their prayer requests. Right, All, They've been asking God, when, when, when will you finally deal with evil? And so uh, we see the answer to that request, and so they are praising God for it. And then we continue in the same, same theme in Revelation chapter 19. So in Revelation chapter 19, verse 1, it says, After this... I heard, and remember, this is John, the writer, who's, who's once again uh, telling us what he's seeing, what he's hearing, and it's our job to try to understand and see what he's seeing and hearing, all right, as he describes it to us through an Old Testament uh, framework. He says, after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more, they cried out, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and Great. Okay, so 
verse one, we, we get this connecting phrase, right? It says, after this. So in light of God's judgment on this evil world system, uh, Babylon, we see this celebration now take place in heaven. Heaven is just erupting in, in praise. Uh, John, John says, I heard a loud voice like that of a vast multitude, okay? A multitude of angels of the people of God who are, are in the presence of God. They're singing out hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. We, we see uh, individuals, we see the 24 elders who are the representatives of the redeemed, uh, who we learned about in Revelation chapter four, and the four living creatures, these angelic beings, they all join in in this worship. And he even hears this, uh, this other voice from the throne joining in as well. And so heaven is erupting in praise at what is happening, okay? And, and so we're brought into this awesome, awesome moment. All throughout Revelation, you see worship, don't you? And what's so fun for us today, like when we have that time of worship and response, it's, it's honestly just a, it's a, it's a privilege for us to join in with the worship that's already happening. And, and so we see this worship happening over that judgment. And then in verse six, it continues. And he says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has, been, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with the fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, I'm just going to warn you guys with my voice. Um, I don't know about you guys. Allergies has just absolutely been destroying me. And um, my first four years after we moved here, I was like, what is everybody complaining about? No problems, anything. And then last year, I just got crushed. And uh, earlier this month, I just started waking up my throat, everything, and just allergies like crazy. I'm hearing noises come out of me that I haven't heard since I was a middle school boy. And so if, if you're hearing something or, or that, like just, just hang tight. I'll get through it. Okay. They gave me some like holy spray. I think they called it uh, some of the worship leaders. So we're, we're good to go. Okay. Uh, but it, I may sound a little interesting. So John hears what? He hears once again the voice, uh, the voices of this vast multitude. Uh, and, 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 and I love this. He, he describes it like, he's, he's just like, this is what it's like. It's like cascading waters. It's like uh, the rumblings of loud uh, thunder and they're shouting hallelujah. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty has begun to reign. We're here, you guys, we're here. The Lord God Almighty has begun to reign. Uh, what's a reality in heaven is now becoming a reality on earth. This is the answer. This is the response to Matthew chapter six, verse 10, where Jesus says, pray in this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
So we're here. And with the arrival of the reign of God comes the long-awaited day of the marriage of the Lamb. The Lord Jesus and his bride, the church. This is the reason for rejoicing, you guys. This is the reason when you think about why can we rejoice. Remember the picture of marriage. Uh, and and we, it was talked about last week, you guys. The picture of marriage throughout the Bible symbolizes the people of God as the bride and Jesus Christ as the bridegroom. All throughout scripture, that's the imagery. That's the picture of marriage that we get. We see uh, the people of God uh, preparing, anticipating for the return of the bridegroom, Jesus. And so as we live uh, on this earth, for however long God calls us to live here, we are to be what? Uh, expecting his arrival, preparing for his uh, arrival. And, and scripture speaks to this. Ephesians 5 uh, talks about uh, the, the, the church being the bride. We see in 2 um, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, we see Paul is saying, like, I'm preparing you as a bride for Christ. So that's the imagery. And, and, and what's helpful for us to understand is how uh, marriage ceremonies really worked in biblical times. So how it worked is uh, the, the parents, okay, the parents would agree uh, for the, the son and the daughter uh, of these two families, and they would, essentially, the parents would agree that they should be uh, married, and, and if you're here, just thank the Lord above, that's not what happened for you, amen. Um, man, my brothers and I, we, we used to joke around and go, who do you think dad would pick? And it was like, Oh, for you, uh, you know, like we would, we would give each other a hard time. And I remember we were like, man, thank God, you know, like that that's not the case, you know, um, but they would agree. And it was a picture of these two families coming together. And this was done at an early age. In fact, we see that when we look at Mary and Joseph in that story. And, and, and once it was agreed upon, uh, they, uh, it, it was essentially, they, they were engaged at that point. Uh, whether they were 16 or whatever, they were engaged at that point, and that was legally binding, okay? So they were at that point to remain faithful to each other, and the only way to break it off was through a certificate of divorce. So it was a big deal. So there's that first initial, um, you know, engagement uh, that happens, but then what would happen is ultimately when it was time, the bridegroom would lead a procession, and they would go to the bride's house and they would, and he would go to get his bride and then they would all head back to the bridegroom's house for an incredible meal and celebration of their marriage that would last around seven days, which that is legit. And for those of you with daughters, that is expensive. <laughs> so... This wedding was, was this incredible like experience where the, the bride is at her house waiting, expecting, anticipating 
the bridegroom to come and get her and to take her to his house for this incredible marriage supper, the culmination, the celebration of their wedding. And, and you guys, just as that's an image and a picture of, of them, uh, today, as the people of God, as the church, we are engaged to Christ and we now await his return, his arrival to come and to take us uh, so that we can go back with him to heaven for the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's the most beautiful image we see. And, and, and it's not just like this one day or even a week, this marriage supper is going to last for all of eternity. And so this, this bride, right? This bride, the people of God, she's been preparing. Uh, how? By remaining faithful. We're called to remain faithful to the, bri to the bridegroom. Uh, enduring, right? You're, you're gonna have to endure. There's, there's suffering that, that comes along with this. It's, it's trusting God uh, in the face of opposition. It's trusting God that he knows what he's doing, that the bridegroom is going to come, that the bridegroom loves me even when I feel distant, even when I feel disconnected, even when sin is present in my life. And so we're going through all of these things, trying to focus and prepare and anticipate the return and arrival of our bridegroom. And after all of this waiting, it's finally time for the wedding. The day is finally here. And then we read, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. So, so we ask, when we read that, we go, so was the wedding dress given to her or did she provide it herself? And the answer is yes. <laughs> See, we can't get ourselves ready for this wedding on our own. We're being prepared as a bride for Jesus by Jesus. Okay, I, that's tough, right? But, but here's, here's what, what happens. See, because of what Jesus has, has done and what he offers um, through the process of sanctification, sanctification, if you're brand new to the church, lingo, sanctification is the process of becoming more like God. Okay, so through this process of, of sanctification, which was initiated by Jesus Christ initiated through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, this process, because of that, we're able to get ourselves ready. So, so to be dressed appropriately for this wedding, it's gonna require that we've been given that perfect gift of righteousness from Christ. In other words, Christ in, in, in a way that you and I cannot even begin to comprehend, transfers and gives us his righteousness and gives it to you so that you are declared righteous the moment you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have a new name, you have a new nature. And so you are declared righteous at that point. So that's given to you. And what I love about righteousness and what I love about the grace that's involved with that is it's active. It's not something you just take, you receive and you go, thank you, this feels great. No, it activates your life. It empowers you, it moves you forward uh, so that, uh, so that it brings honor to uh, him. As, as Philippians 2.12 tells us, it says, 
Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, so, so we've been given this gift and now we're called to work it out. Now, work it out doesn't mean earn your salvation or now you better figure out what it is. No, you're working out what it means to fully follow Jesus in your life, which is a process. So you're, you're dedicated to working at it, but don't miss what verse 13 says. It says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You should just say amen to that. So, so, so he's like, you've got to be working on this. Like while you're on the earth, you got to be working and growing and stretching those muscles uh, out that, 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 you, that are needed, right? But then I love verse 13 where he says, I am going to help you. I'm going to help you. You can't do it on your own. I'm going to work in you and through you, and it is going to ultimately bring me pleasure, Colossians 3, 12 kind of says the same thing. It says, put on then, like this clothing, right? This article, this, this preparation as this bride. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So through his work in your life, you're going to be able to put those things on. Those things are going to be activated in your life. So the righteousness of our groom is going to work into our lives, in our lives in such a way that it's going to purify us. And ultimately, it's going to beautify us for the bridegroom. This text says that the fine linen, it represents the righteous acts of the saint. And it's just a white garment that's been washed and made clean in the blood of the lamb. Now, what I love here as well is it says, those who participate in the marriage supper of the lamb are blessed, right? Those who have been invited. Now, here's what's so special about that. Here's why you're blessed. You're not blessed because you got an invitation to attend, okay? You're blessed because not only did you get an invitation, you're blessed because you're the actual bride. Like, like do you catch that? And, and, and I feel like some of us really need to unpack that a little bit today and not just like receive it. Uh, because for some of us, there is this perception, and it's so wrong. There's this perception that Jesus is just stuck with you. It's like God the Father's like, here you go. There's Steve. I don't know what else to do with him. Like, just try your best. You're stuck with him. In fact, he's got an invitation to the wedding. We had a few extra seats. You got it, okay? Good luck, right? And, and for some of us, we honestly, uh, we, our relationship with God, it, it looks like that. We, we're, we're like, oh, he's just stuck with me. I failed again. I messed up. Man. And we, and, and we treat ourselves this way, like, like you guys, you understand that he's not just sitting around waiting for you to mess up. Do you understand that? Like, have you ever been in an environment where that's happening? It's the worst. 
Okay, like, like whether you've been uh, on a team or in a work environment where you're working with someone else and the whole time they're waiting for you to make a mistake, that's literally how everyone feels who does a construction project with me. And I hate that feeling, okay? Uh, they're, they're, they're just, you know, like my father-in-law. I'm sure he's like, all right, Steve, come and help me. <laughs> we'll see when he screws this up, right? Like, and, and, and what happens when you feel that way. You feel paralyzed, don't you? You're scared to make a mistake. You're scared to do anything that is going to fail, right? Because, because you believe everybody's already expecting it. And so you so badly don't wanna do it. You guys, so many of us are living our lives uh, with Jesus in a way that I'm just living so I don't fail him. I'm just living so he doesn't kick me out. I'm just living so he's not disappointed in me. Versus everything else in scripture we read is, is you have been chosen, you have been adopted. In fact, Ephesians chapter one, verse 13 says, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit for this marriage. Do you know what that means? That means he's not stuck with you. He's not sitting around waiting for you to make the same mistake again, getting caught up in that addictive cycle again. No, he loves you so much that he sent Jesus to the cross for you. And then he says, I, I, you know, I'm gonna give you the righteousness you need because you can't do it on your own. I'm gonna be there for you. I'm gonna walk with you through this as you prepare yourself. And guess what? You can't prepare yourself. So I'm gonna help you as you prepare for my return, my arrival for you, where I come and I get you because I love you so much. And you're gonna experience the marriage supper of the Lamb with me for all of eternity. Guys, when you actually receive that, you don't walk around in fear. You don't walk around going, oh, there it is. I screwed up again. I'm sure God is sick of me. No, he absolutely loves you. He loves you. And John is seeing this image, right? He's writing this, he's seeing it. And, 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 and he's so overwhelmed by what he's seeing and what it means for him that he grabs, he like bends down and grabs the angel's legs and he tries to worship the angel. He's so overwhelmed. And the angel's like, did you, did you, get up. Did you not see what happened to Babylon, bro? Get up. Like, like God will, you and me, get up, right? Like he is rebuked very quickly. Get off me, go to God, all right? God is the orchestrator of all this. I'm just one like you who is so blessed to see and to be a part of of this, okay? And, and, and so what do we see there when, when it's talking about this? It says love for the bridegroom or love for Jesus means that you hold to the testimony of Jesus. So what it says, you hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, what does that mean for us? That means you can't stop talking about him, right? To anyone who will listen. You guys, um, and some of you are brides in this room, which is so awesome, but uh, if you've ever been around a bride who recently got engaged, which there's some of you in this room, and I'm not singling any of you out, although you're gonna feel that way. <laughs> when you get engaged, you want to tell everybody about it, don't you? Right? And if you're the bride, are you right? If, if, if you're the bride, you've got this shiny ring on your finger. And you are doing everything you can in every conversation you're in to pull up that finger, aren't you? Right? Every way you can just, you're doing it, right? 
And we don't look at that and go, what's wrong with you? No, we want to celebrate. We're excited about what has happened in your life and you're excited, okay? You're so excited about it that you get to share and you want everyone to know you're in love. You're gonna be married to that person. And, and, and I know I felt the same way. I remember uh, I was talking to a bunch of college students at a retreat yesterday uh, about when I knew I was gonna marry my wife and, and I was so excited. And, and I remember after I proposed, I wanted to tell everybody, especially my exes who said, there's no chance you'll ever get married. I really wanted to tell them. But, but I remember every opportunity I had, like, I mean, they could be talking about anything and I'd be like, yeah, that's cool. That reminds me of my marriage coming up. You know, and they'd be like, what are you? And I'd be like, well, I'm getting married. Oh, you didn't know? Well, now you know, right? Like, I was so excited to share that. Guys, how, how have we lost that excitement? When it comes to Jesus, the bridegroom, who's done all of these things, who, who's, who's picked you, selected you, says, you're mine, I, I am marrying you. I'm coming for you. And for whatever reason, we're not talking about him anymore. We're not excited about him anymore. Nobody knows that we're longing for his return, that we're anticipating for his arrival. See, if, 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 if you really love the bridegroom, you can't help but talk about him. And that's why it says the spirit of prophecy, it bears witness to Jesus. And then we keep going in, in verse 11. It says, then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh." Guys, any, anyone who's read Genesis chapter three knows where the problems we have in this world have come from. But they also know how those problems are gonna be resolved, don't they? 
Because Genesis 3.15, it says that the offspring of the woman, right, Eve, ultimately Jesus, is going to, be the, is going to one day crush the head of the offspring of the serpent. The serpent. He's gonna put an end to evil, right? Um, until that day, we have seen this, this conflict throughout uh, the ages, this conflict uh, that's gone on. And in Revelation 19 and 20, we see the climax of that conflict. And we see that this war that is raged on is finally going to be addressed. See, the bridegroom has come for his bride. But when you see him, you notice he doesn't look like he's dressed up for a wedding. There's, that's because there's something he must do first. He must deal with evil. He must deal with the evil that is against his bride. And so he arrives dressed like a warrior. This is the warrior, Messiah, Jesus, the King. This is who the Old Testament's uh, prophets wrote about uh, and, and, and everyone was anticipating and looking for in his first coming. This is what everybody, uh, when Jesus first arrived, this is what they were looking for. They were looking for the heavens to open and that kind of a figure to show up. Right, but Jesus didn't come as this um, <laughs> as this warrior king. He came as a as a servant, as a shepherd. But now, the second coming, we see Jesus. The heavens open. He's riding a white horse. He's wielding a sword, ready to slay the enemies of the church. And he's coming to make this righteous this 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 war that is perfectly just because evil has to be dealt with. The writer, Jesus, it says he has five names here, four that are revealed and one that's concealed. He's called faithful and true. Um, he judges and he makes this war in righteousness. It says his eyes are like a fiery flame. There's many crowns on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself uh, at this point. And, and it says he wore a robe that was stained with blood, a, a picture that his audience would immediately go back to Isaiah chapter 63, verses one through six. Where, where Isaiah sees this divine warrior arriving from enemy territory and, and, and this, this divine warrior has these crimson stains on his garment. It's the blood of the enemies that it says were spattered on his garments. So once again, he's using Old Testament imagery here. It says his name is also the word of God. To see Jesus is to see God. To hear Jesus speak is to hear the word of God. And then we see not only is it Jesus coming uh, from heaven, but we see when he comes, he's going to be accompanied uh, by the armies of heaven. The armies of heaven, which includes uh, those who were unrighteous, who are now declared righteous, you and I, Jesus' followers, who have pledged their allegiance to him as their Lord and Savior, they accompany him. And in uh, 2 Thessalonians verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, it says the angels are a part of this as well. And so here we are, all of us, coming down on white horses with pure white linen, and we are following him. He's going to lead the way. And, and, and listen, you and I, we're going to be spectators. 
I mean, we're gonna be spectators. Jesus didn't need our help the first time around and he doesn't need our help the second time around. Okay, he's going to fight this battle for us and he's gonna win this battle on our behalf. Guys, I can't think of a better image than what it's supposed to look like every day with Jesus, right? This is what every day should look like. We are called to be Jesus followers, right? So in other words, every day, I have a choice. Am am I gonna lead my day? Is this gonna be about Steve's will, Steve's desires? Or am I gonna choose to follow Jesus today? And as I follow Jesus, the beauty of walking with him is you know he's going before your day. And so, and so whatever victories you may have, those are victories that ultimately Jesus has won on your behalf. And so what, what I love about this is just this reminder that, that daily we're to wake up and go, God, I pray that you lead today. I just wanna follow. Lord, I, I, I know victory's already been won and there's victories today that I need you to win on my behalf. I can't do it. And you guys, Jesus loves that request. He loves that surrender. And he wants to come through for you in a victorious way, all right? And so this is just a picture of what every day should look like as a follower of Jesus. Um, But then we see the Old Testament imagery again in the sword and in the staff and and in the wine press. Uh, The sword, we we see that imagery, uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse four, it says, but with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked, okay? So by his word, it says here, he's gonna strike the nations, this enemy army. Um, he's gonna shepherd with this iron scepter, which comes uh, from Psalm chapter two, verses eight and nine, which I don't have time to read this morning. Um, And then drawing back from Isaiah 61, says he's gonna trample like the winepress with the fierce anger of God. And along his thigh, he has the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Maybe the coolest tattoo ever. There's no one that's been, there's no one that will be ever like him. There is no rivalry here. And then we see in verses 17 and 18, John sees an angel. He sees this angel, sun is shining, and the angel cries out with his loud voice. And the angel starts crying out to all the birds that are circling in the air, all the vultures flying overhead. And he says, come gather for this great supper. Guys, this is not the marriage supper of the lamb. This is a totally different supper. This is a supper for them on those who are condemned. And what we see here is ultimately, there's no easy out. There's no escape at this point. And you know what? We also see that God doesn't make any distinctions here. There's no discrimination here. Every single person who has said no to Jesus, and and, and once again, you guys, uh, I feel like every week, even as we've walked through wrath, you see moments of incredible grace and mercy where God is pleading with his people to repent. All throughout the book of Revelation, do you see what's happening? Stop, turn, repent, believe in me. 
pleads. He pleads with them, right? Uh, in the midst of these judgments, do you see what's happening? Turn to me, please. Uh, change the course of the direction of your life. And yet, these are the people that have repeatedly said, no, no, thank you. I want my own. I'm going to take the mark of the beast. I'm going to worship that. And I'm going to go in that direction. And, he's, and guess what? He's saying, you're going to be held accountable for that rejection. And, and so in this scene here, we see the beast, right? The Antichrist builds up all these armies of the world around him and he gathers them for war against the returning king. And you guys, the defeat of this evil army is so quick that the text doesn't even describe it, right? Like John's like, eh, that, yeah, let's move on. Like, that's what it's like. So, so we're like, what's this war going to be like, Steve? Ooh, Revelation 19. Like, what do you think? What do you, how, what do you think God's going to do with me in that fight? Nothing. Like, you're, you're going to be back there. It's going to be like that. The text doesn't even describe, it just reports the results, doesn't it? We read that both the beast and the false prophet, they're captured Jesus says, get over here, you are mine. And now he sentences them to be the first inhabitants of an eternal hell called the lake of fire. And then we see this final picture of the destiny for those who have repeatedly said no to God who are alive on the earth when he returns. And it says they are destroyed, they are killed. And the birds devour them. And we look at this long-awaited battle of Armageddon, this thing we've learned about. There's movies about it, and we read about it, and we go, wow, it actually lasts but a moment. A moment. Suddenly, it will be all over. There's no war here. There is just a word spoken by Jesus, the warrior Messiah King. And, 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 and like, like this, is the same, this is the same Jesus. Remember, uh, just by a word, creation was created. Okay, by a word. Uh, throughout Jesus's life, throughout his ministry, it was through a word that he spoke to the fig tree and the fig tree just withered. It was through a word that as the storms are raging and the wind is going crazy and the disciples are saying, we're gonna die, Jesus with a word tells the storm to stop and it stops. With a word, there's demons that have possessed this man, all of these demons, and with a word from Jesus, they flee. With a word, he says, Lazarus, come out of that tomb. What does Lazarus do? Comes back to life, comes out of the tomb. It is by a word that this war is done. It is by a word that sin here is dealt with. And you guys, in that final day, your status, what you've accomplished, it is not gonna make any difference. It's not gonna matter. The only thing that's going to matter is whether a person's guilt has been dealt with. I mean, guys, we, we, we all entered into this world with this guilt, didn't we? There was, there was guilt that we had, right? And, and there's, two, there's two things that can happen with that guilt, right? This is the story of the Bible, right? There's, there's, two, there's two ways your guilt can be dealt with, right? And, 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 and one is through the finished work of Christ on the cross, which I plead with you to place your faith and hope and trust in. So that's one way. The other way is, is that, it's judgment. And we're gonna look at that next week. 
as not only does God deal at the great white throne of judgment, but also he ushers Jesus' followers into heaven. And so I want to ask us this question that I, I can't stress enough for you to consider this morning. Is your love, affection, and anticipation for the bridegroom growing? Is that growing? Not do you desire him to return, right? This isn't a, God, you see how awful the world is. We just please come back? Like, please, I can't do it anymore. This is crazy. That person's crazy. This thought is crazy. Look, God, I can't deal with this. My kids can't. I, God, just come back. Like, that's one posture that I hear, and I'm like, you are missing it. The other posture is, I am loving you more than I loved you yesterday. I'm loving you more than I loved you last year. I'm more excited about what you're doing in me than what you were doing two weeks ago. I'm more excited about your, your will, your plan for my family, for my, for my church, for what you're doing. And, and, and Lord, I love you. And, 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 and my anticipation, my excitement for you is, is growing. And, 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 and how is it manifesting itself? Uh, I, I can't stop talking about you. I can't stop telling and sharing my faith with other people. And they're just telling me to shut up because I'm so excited about your return. And I believe John chapter 14, right? Jesus said what to his disciples? I go to prepare a place for you, right? You're my bride. I am going to prepare a place for you. It describes mansions. I'm gonna describe, there's gonna be many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to what? I'm gonna come again. I'm gonna come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. And so while I'm here on this earth, you guys, it, the, the measure, the question that it isn't, can I just, you know, hold tight and be ready? No, the, the question is, can I actively pursue him? Can my love for him grow? And can I anticipate him more today than I did yesterday? And if that's not happening in your life, guys, remember what we learned earlier in Revelation. There is no lukewarm. Lukewarm is useless. And so that's the question. Is your love, affection, and anticipation for the bridegroom, is it growing? Are we preparing for him? Because we read here that one day it's, it's all gonna be over. The waiting's gonna be over. He's gonna return and take us away for the marriage supper of the lamb. And so you guys... Until that day comes, the question for us is, can we remain faithful? And can we come back to the original call on your life, the original invitation, which was this, to love me with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. That's the invitation of Jesus. Can we just go back to that, to that original invitation? And you guys, if you can't say yes to that this morning, God wants to do some things. God wants to work in your life. And so I pray that you wrestle with that as we go into this time of just worship and response. You guys, there is nobody that can hear this sermon and go, you are not loved. Amen? You are so loved. Let's pray.